Coming up, if you change these three things, you will change your life for the better, I promise. And then self-employed workers are more happy than others. We'll break all of that down. Coming up, let's go. Welcome to the Ken Coleman Show, where we help you win in your work life. Well-being at work is the goal, because if you are well at work, I promise you, you're using what you do best to do work you love, to produce results that matter to you in a place that values you, and that's where we want to get you, because then your potential is in sight, and you will achieve it. That's my aim. There it is. So let's get to it. Three Things that if you change, and this is a bold statement, but it is absolutely true because I've experienced it. I've interviewed men and women that are very successful and their life models this. So these three things, if you change these three things, you will change your life. And it is all in the area of thinking. We're going to take on thinking today. Change your thinking. Change your actions change your life. I could literally shut the show down right here, Alex. I could. I could go, now that's it. I'm going to tell you specifically three areas you need to change your thinking. But I could say that, and and the show's over. Now, I want to address bad thinking or negative thinking. And these are two different things. Bad thinking is you just don't think the right way. And then negative thinking is, is you've got a perspective, a, a lens, if you will, over top of your thinking. So everything you think is funneled through or filtered through negativity. This is not genetic. It is environmental, yes. And it is a habit, yes. But people are more successful than you because they think better than you. That's simply it. You want to see somebody who's who's, who's more successful than you? On some level, in multiple areas, they think better than you. So you need to make a deliberate effort intentional effort to upgrade your thinking. So three areas that you need to change as it relates to thinking and you'll change your life. First, your attitude. Change your attitude, change your life. That's simple. So this is this is what we have to do when it relates to attitude. About changing our life. In any area, you pick the area. Place where you work, it sucks, it's boring, uh, it's toxic. You pick the reason. Uh, your finances, your health, your relationships, your faith. If you want to make some changes in your life and you know you need to change, here's how you change your attitude. First, you have to say things like, I have to change. I have to acknowledge. I have to change. I have to. And second, I can change. Third, I will be better when I change. Now let's just pause. Did you catch that? Those three thoughts will change your attitude. So I gave them to you in the form of a statement, but those are thoughts. I have to change. I can change. I will be better when I change. Now you just think about that progression if you begin to focus on those thoughts. I have to change. I got to get out of debt. I got to treat my wife better. I got to lose weight. I got to do work that really lights me up. What it is, I have to change. That's the first thought that begins to affect your attitude. Secondly, 
I can change. I begin to see that I can. I can actually do step one, two, three. And I can change my life. I can change my circumstance. I can change my reality. Boy, I'm telling you, you begin to see that and just watch how your attitude changes towards change. And then third, watch this. This is where it really is where the attitude finally gets to a place where you can make the change in your life. I will be better when I change. Now I'm beginning to look to the future and I see my desired future on the other side of change. And now my attitude towards doing the hard things like a budget, like saving money, like going to the gym, like eating a healthy salad. Those are hard things. But I have the attitude to be able to do that. And so I've changed my attitude. Second, change your beliefs. This is the second of the three things that if you change your thinking on, you will change your life. So now we want to change our beliefs. So this is great because this is coming off of that statement of I will be better when I change. I can change. I have to change. So I begin to see that it's possible. And so now I've got to believe it. Let me give you a really simple example today on how to really understand that belief is something that we have to take action on. And so I'm sitting in a chair right here, and I'm not going to stand up because Nathan gets upset, or Andrew is in today when I stand up. But you can see I'm in a chair here, and you can see it right there. And so when I came in the studio today, I walked in from the door over there, and I saw the chair. I saw the chair. And I said, this is a chair. Now, by the way, this is all subconscious. But I looked at the chair, and I go, that looks like the chair I sit in every day. I see the chair. That's what I'm supposed to sit in. And without any thought at all, I sat down in the chair. Why? Because I believed the chair was not broken. I believed that Joe would not put a chair in here that I would sit in. Although that would be funny, Joe, if you put in a broken chair one time, that'd be a funny prank. But I believe that the chair is going to work, that's going to hold me. Do you see what I'm saying? I know that's a silly little subconscious thing, but that's the power of belief. Anytime we sit in a chair for the first time, we make the cognitive decision that I see the chair is there for me and I believe the chair is going to hold up. So I sit in the chair. That's the power of belief. And here's what belief does. Belief spurs hope. When I believe that I can do these things to change my life, step one, two, three, four, five, change my work, change my health, change my marriage, change my relationships, change my friendships, whatever. When I believe that there is a process that will help me make change, guess what happens? I begin to hope for the desired future. Belief is so powerful. I believe that I can change my life, and so I begin to hope for that future. So first, we have to change our attitude. Second, we have to change our beliefs. Third, we've got to change our expectations. Now that I believe that there's a desired future that I can actually get to, guess what I have to do now? I have to change my expectations. I have to change my expectations. I have to now expect that if I keep doing these positive things and and these changes that I believe in, that I will actually change my life and I will get there. 
I have to change my expectations. I'm now expecting to arrive at this better future. Benjamin Franklin famously said, blessed is he that expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. I wish I was as wise as Ben Franklin and say stuff like that. If you focus on the negative, life will give you more negative. If you expect nothing positive to happen in your life, I promise you, that's what you're going to receive. See, negative expectations stall action. See, we can believe for a moment. We can believe. But if we don't expect that the new change, the the actions we are taking to better our life won't actually work, we don't expect to see results, we won't stay with it. See, this is where... This is where perseverance and grit come in. I'm expecting good things to happen as a result of what I believe will help me. And so it stalls your ability to act because you stop thinking properly. You stop dreaming. You stop imagining. You stop hoping. And so here's what I want you to know. I would rather be a person of action. And I would rather deal with the ache of growing than the ache of regretting. See, we've all had growing pains, and every kid wants to grow. You go, hey, your legs are going to hurt at a certain time. Well, it's okay, Dad, because I want to get taller, right? We would all rather, if we're honest, experience the ache of growing as opposed to the ache of regretting. See, when I go to the gym and I work out, I'm sore, but I know, oh, I'm getting stronger. I'm shaping my body, right? That's just part of the ache of growing. But the ache of regretting is soulless misery. And I can tell you this. You'll never stay in the game if you give up on positive expectations. So why have I taught you today about this type of thinking? Because thinking keeps you living towards your potential, keeps you moving towards your potential. And good thinking can take anyone from underachiever to high achiever. Change the way you think, you'll change the way you act, and you'll change the way you live. This is the Ken Coleman Show. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Don't we all need help being better? And they're great at it. You know, we all carry around a lot of stress from our family life and our professional life, and it can just hit us at the same time. Big stuff, small stuff. And we can talk to our friends, or maybe you have a great relationship with a leader at work or a coworker, but... You may not feel comfortable telling them everything. I know I wouldn't. And when we keep things bottled up, it will eventually leak out. And it's really negative. But therapy, it's a safe space to get everything off your chest with an unbiased professional and figure out how to work through the stuff that's weighing you down. So if you've thought of therapy before, you're thinking about it now, please try BetterHelp. Therapy isn't just for people who've gone through trauma. It's great to build skills, to become better personally and professionally. And BetterHelp is flexible enough to fit your busy schedule because it's completely online. All you do is fill out a short questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no extra cost. It's time to get stuff off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Ken today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Ken.
Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. We're here to help you win in your work life. I want you to have well-being at work because guess what that means? You're using what you do best to do what you love, to produce results that matter in a place that cares about you. Ho-ho! And now dreams really do become reality. That's our aim here. Hey, if you're enjoying the show and it's helping you, will you help us help other people? You can do that if you're watching on YouTube. Like the videos, subscribe to our channel, and share the videos with somebody you think it will help. Same thing on podcast. Give us a follow over there and a five-star rating, if you please, and share as well. All right. So uh, how many of you want to be self-employed? I always like these questions. I can't see you, folks. I can't hear you. I know you're out there. How many of you want to be self-employed? There's a lot of hands going up. I know. A lot of people going, me, Ken. You know how I know this? Because the data shows that uh, around 70% of Americans want to be self-employed. And so this is a very interesting piece of data here. And it turns out that the data says that there's a reason why 70% of Americans say they want to be self-employed. Because I think they know that they might be happier. And what does the data say? Is it true? The answer is yes. Self-employed workers view their jobs more favorably than those who are not self-employed. I wonder if, there's no data on this, so I'm going to throw this out there. I wonder if it could be just summarized as the reason self-employed workers uh, view their job more favorably than others is because they like their boss more. I would say it's possible. You know? I mean, let's just boil it down. Yeah, you know what? This may have sucked today, but I'm in charge, so I'll deal with me later. It might be, might be. Okay, here we go. Let's break this down. Uh, 62% of self-employed workers say they are extremely satisfied with their job compared to 51% of those who are not self-employed. Now, this is interesting. I just want to point something out on this piece of data. Only 62% of self-employed workers say they're very satisfied with their job, which tells me, even though they're self-employed, so they're working for themselves, and essentially they can set their boundaries, they can do it, they're, they're in charge of them, they're still not doing work that is fit for them. Because I'm going to tell you something. If only 60, so, so the 62%, by the way, that are saying being self-employed makes them very satisfied. I can promise you if I talk to them, you're going to see a high rate of that group saying, yeah, I'm obviously good at it. I'm using my talent. I really enjoy the work. I think you're going to see a lot of that. And without question, they care about the results of the work. Even if the product or service isn't their favorite thing in the world, the result of their work is, is it gives me individual freedom. So they're highly motivated. Mission, talent, passion, mission. I guarantee you, You'll see this. But for the uh, 38% of people who are self-employed that don't consider themselves very satisfied, I can tell you right now, something's off. They may need to make a hire. They may need to, they may need to delegate. Something's off in their rhythm, their work rhythm. They aren't using what they do best to do what they enjoy to produce results that matter them most of the day. And maybe it's because they're starting out and they're the chief everything officer. And that that is a, a season that everybody goes through. It's not that enjoyable, but it's the old, I got to do it. So maybe that's a part of it. But I can tell you, this is a factor even in the self-employed land. 
You've got to be in your sweet spot even when you're self-employed. There's not an asterisk when you're self-employed. Those who are not self-employed are more likely than self-employed workers to say they find their jobs stressful and overwhelming. Well, again, if you work for you and you're stressed and overwhelmed, and, and again, I know a lot of people who don't take care of themselves. I've taken those calls on this show, coach some people on that, self-employed. Ken, I'm stressed out of my mind. Well, you got to take care of you, which means you got to offload some stuff. You're saying yes to too much, right? But but obviously, there's a higher uh, rate of flexibility of control for the person who works for themselves. All right, let's keep going. 47% of self-employed workers say their job can mostly be done from home, whereas 38% who are not self-employed say they cannot most, uh, sorry, 38% of those who are not self-employed say they can mostly do it from home. 60% of self-employed workers with jobs that can be done from home say they work from home all of the time. A larger share of self-employed workers with jobs that can be done from home say they work from home all of the time. A larger share of self-employed workers, 52%, say they respond to emails or other messages from work outside of normal work hours, as opposed to 28% who are not self-employed. So what does that tell me? When you're self-employed, you feel a greater responsibility to the customer, to the work that needs to be done. And a warning sign here, when you've got more freedom, essentially because you work for yourself, a greater share of those people are answering emails and doing work after normal hours. Well, you say, well, I have to. I get it. All I'm saying is, uh, if you want to be self-employed, we know that 70% of Americans want to, understand that even working for yourself, you will probably work harder and work longer. I think that's just almost a guarantee. I'm willing to say it's a guarantee if you're a person of character. If you're a person of character, you work for yourself, you will work harder and you will work longer. Now, the reason I bring that up is a warning sign to those of you who want to to, to be self-employed and think, oh, I'm just going to be able to work whenever I want to, however I want to. Maybe, depending on the type of work you do. But there's a good possibility that's not true. That's one warning I just laid out. Second warning is for those of you that are self-employed right now. The data says that you are working after hours a lot more. And so that is a warning sign that as a person who is self-employed, you must be aware of your ability to burn out even though you love it, even though you're working for you. You got to take care of you. So there needs to be some boundaries. There need to be systems that help you achieve the boundaries to where you aren't ignoring your family, you aren't ignoring your own health. You can't go all in all the time. You just can't. And I've seen a lot of self-employed dreams go up in smoke. Because of this very issue, you care deeply, you want it to work, but you, but you're, you know, there's a blind spot and you aren't setting up boundaries and then supporting those boundaries. It's not enough to go, well, I need this to be a boundary. I, I need to be able to turn it off and not be answering emails at eight o'clock. Okay, great. But what are we going to do to now say, uh, to, to make this boundary a reality? And so you got to make hard decisions, self-employed folks. To protect yourself. you got to protect yourself. 
Uh, this is interesting, Alex. About 15 million U.S. workers are self-employed. So it makes up about 10% of the U.S. workforce. So not a lot. That's a really low number. If you look at the amount of workers in America, only 15 million are self-employed. Three-quarters of self-employed workers work full-time. This is also interesting. Men make up 64% of the self-employed workforce. I'd like to see that number change. Men, 64% self-employed. I'd like to see more women self-employed. White workers make up 68% of self-employed America. I'd like that to change. I think one of the great opportunities for minorities in America is changing the system to make it easier for them to be self-employed. Foreign-born workers make up 22% of self-employed workforce, slightly higher than the share of all U.S. workers. So again, you're seeing a lot of immigrants come here and start their business, and so that's why you see that. So if you look at 70% of Americans, I've been touching on this, want to work for themselves, but only about 7%, only about 15 million do. There's a big gap there. And so um, I think the key to a healthy economy is to see those numbers grow to see more self-employed people who will then employ others. And I think small businesses has and always will be the backbone of the American economy. To the extent that we aren't seeing more people become self-employed, I think you see a tremendous threat to the U.S. economy long-term. That's how much I believe in self-employment. I think it's absolutely vital to a healthy economy in any country, and certainly the United States economy. So there you go. I'm here to help. The key to winning in that is in your sweet spot. Use what you do best to do work you love to produce results that matter for you and a business that meets a need that you care deeply about. This is The Ken Coleman Show. Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. You were created to fill a unique role. You are needed and you must do it. I believe there's work that you were designed to do and the world needs you to do it. And I've got a great tool to help you figure that out. Because let's be honest, everybody at some point in their life wonders, what should I do with my life professionally? But what if there was a 15 to 20 minute experience, an assessment that asked you the right questions? that allowed you to see yourself for the first time, maybe how you've never seen yourself. And you could see, hey, I'm really good at this. And B, I really enjoy doing this work. And C, these results motivate me. How do I put that together? It's called the Get Clear Work Assessment. It's helped tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of people. It's available at kencoleman.com slash assessment. Great gift for that person who's struggling, floundering, for the person who wants to start a business, person who feels stuck, person who's unhappy at work. The Get Clear Work Assessment. KenColeman.com slash assessment. Get it today. All right, let's get to the phones. Brittany's on the line in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Brittany, you're on the Ken Coleman Show. Hey, Ken. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. What's up? Um, So my name is Brittany. I'm in Pennsylvania. I live with my husband and my two-year-old daughter. A little background on me career-wise is um, I was a journalist for 10 years. That was my dream job from the time I was a kid. I worked my way up from a really small station to a large market, um, anchoring and reporting. But about halfway through my career, I started to kind of question if this was the right 
path for me. Um, but I kept going and I moved up and I ended up with at a, at a station that, um, by all intents and purposes, it was my dream job. Yeah. Um, but it was a pretty bad environment. And at the same time, my mom, um, got cancer. I was expecting my first child. Hmm. My contract was ending. So I decided in January of 2021 to take a step back to leave and, and to try and figure out what my next move was over the past three years. I've been really trying to figure out what my passion and purpose is. Um, I've been experimenting. I took the career assessment, networking, um, freelancing, and I think I've narrowed it down to a few paths, but I really feel kind of paralyzed on which way to go. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Let's go right to the paths because I think you're way further along than you think you are. That's my hunch. Let's see. So what are these paths that you've identified? Okay. So writing and blogging. Um, but with that comes then the question of what would my niche be? Um, and so that really has drawn a lot of confusion out of me too, because there are a lot of things that I like to write about and that I'm interested in. Another one is PR and marketing, which I've done this on a freelance basis and I like it, but only if I'm doing something that I really am passionate about the subject matter. Right. Um, another one is financial coaching and actually I've done, um, Ramsey coaching uh-huh. and I do really enjoy that and helping families. And then the fourth option would be to go back to news, but I would be super selective. I've pretty much narrowed it down to four stations that I would want to go back to. And do you know, by the way, if those stations are much healthier, much better environment than what you experienced in the past? Um, I'm pretty sure, but there, I'm, there's never a guarantee. Of course not. Because right. here's one thing I wanted to ask right away, and I want to go back to it. If if you had not been in a nasty environment, I'm just using that word, or just a negative mm-hmm. environment, do you think you would have walked away? That's a question I've, I've asked myself um, a lot. So you have answered it, too. So what's the dominant answer? I think I probably would have, just because um, personally, especially now that I'm a mom, um, it didn't really line up with my heart in that way. It took me away from my family a lot. I missed Got a it. lot of things. I missed a lot of holidays. I don't really want to do that. With okay, kids. great. All right, so let, let me just tell you, let's go ahead and take, because of that reason, let's take that off the list. It's no longer okay. on the list. Okay. But I don't think that the type of work, I, in other words, I, I think it's possible that you as an anchor or a journalist were doing the right thing, but in the wrong place. Okay. Because the writing piece popped up first, which tells me, based on my longtime coaching people, that the first thing you mentioned is the one you spend the most time thinking about that's pulling your heart. It's at the top of the heart. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yes. Okay. I think you're right. And you've also told me that there were things you enjoy writing about. Give me one or two examples of the things that you most enjoy writing about. I think they all kind of focus on family. So I do, I do like writing about finances, health, and nutrition. Um, I, I did a lot of writing freelance now for a um, company who focuses on holistic health and, and birth and things like that, which I've really liked. So there's a lot of different ways this could go. A lot of ways. But mm-hmm. I want to pull it back and, and let you be okay hearing that if you're writing on something that makes a family's life or journey better you're intrigued at at the very baseline may not be your favorite thing but you go all right this is a topic that makes a family's life better because you just touched on several things there you talked you talked about finances you talked about health 
and wellness, that that intrigues you. Mm-hmm. You're a person who sees problems naturally in the world, and you go, that's not okay. That needs to be better. And I think it largely has turned into the family context with some personal uh, growth context as well. Mm-hmm. No longer the news, like this happened over here and this happened over here. You're more like, hey, if this can help a person, a mom, be healthier and it helps her kids and her husband, boom. Am I right? Am I on the? Am I on this? I'm trying to see if I'm on this heart nerve here. Yeah, I think I on, you are exactly right. But then it goes deeper to a fear of, um, I, feel, I feel like I'm not really an expert on any of these. Well, topics, I can address so. that. If that's the biggest fear, is there, is there a financial um, pressure on this too? There's not Great. necessarily. I, I, I am Great. blessed that my, my husband is, is Great. good. So. Great. Uh, what's the one topic that if I had you on my show, you're a former media person, where you and I are on the same, like if I brought you in here today and sat next to me, you'd have a little bit of butterflies, but not much. Because you know if the light, I'm looking at a camera right now talking to you, I can hear you, but I'm looking at a big giant TV camera. With tally lights right now. <laughs> you would be at home sitting next to me in the studio right now, wouldn't you? I would, yeah. You know why? Because you're a performer. Interesting. Am I right or am I wrong that at a base level, you like the pressure to deliver under pressure? Yes. Breaking news was always my favorite thing about my, my old job. Yeah. Why? Describe what was going on when we, not the stuff that's in front of you in the prompter, but when breaking news is coming your way, why was that your favorite thing? Describe it. Um, because there was just this, um, I knew people wanted this information and that I was the person that could get it. Boom. Oh my gosh. Do you have something <laughs> to write with right now? Yes. Will you write that down right now? I don't even care about the rest of the audience. I want you to write that down right now, what you just said to me. Write it down. And say it out loud as you're writing it. I want the audience to hear that one more time. I knew that people wanted this information and I was the person who could get it. Oh my gosh, I got goosebumps all over <laughs> me, Brittany. Now I'm easily excitable, we all know. Uh-huh. But do you get that? Now let's take that sentence. Did you write it down? I did. All right, are you looking at it right now? I am. All right, I want you to look at it and don't take your eyes off of it as I talk to you. Because okay. if I take that sentence that you just wrote and I apply it to uh, financial health, physical health, it relates to nutrition, whatever, 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 you pick the topics that most excite you and you want to write about those things and what you've learned and the holistic health and the stuff you talked about earlier. That's the same thing as breaking news, yes or no? It is. You're right. So you need to write to people who want what you want. Finish this sentence. Birds of a feather flock together. Brittany, I must be way older than you. Did I lose her? We lost her. Brittany, are you there? Oh my gosh. Okay. I don't know. She's gone. Uh, We may have lost the connection, but let me tie this in for everybody else. When she shared that sentence, that that's what she loved most, she was... Her pulse quickened. She was on fire. It's because she had a very clear thing that she 
knew the audience needed to know about, and she had the knowledge that they needed. And so now she's got to go find that audience, and by the way, they're out there, who want the same thing she wants, the connection between, I'm going to help people get what I wanted on this subject of nutrition or sleep or parenting or money or whatever. Do you see the point, folks? And once she figures out, wait a second, this is what I want to learn about and I want to apply in my life for growth, and so I'm going to write more about that. And to the expert issue, because I know she's back on the line so she can hear me, so this is important. We'll wrap up on this. On the expert issue, Brittany, here's what you've got to understand. It's not about being an expert. It's about being someone who's effective in what they're writing. The more effective in what you're writing and sharing with an audience who wants what you have experienced and what is helping you, you become the expert by osmosis down the line. You don't have to be an expert to equip people. Just equip people effectively, and then you will be seen as an expert. Woo, that's good right there. Brittany, you're awesome. Thank you so much for joining the show. We got to get out of here. That's what it's all about right there. Finding your role and filling it. This is the Ken Coleman Show. Press on. Thanks for listening to the Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.